0: you're listening to diversity matters a podcast about raising awareness and education through thought-provoking discussion opinions experiences and inspirational stories from the complex world of equity diversity and inclusion here's your host mike seeley great welcome to another episode of diversity matters where every voice is welcome and every story is celebrated My special guest today is Mandy Hagen. Mandy is a qualified lawyer. She qualified back in 2005, specialising in criminal defence, focusing predominantly on uh, anti-money laundering and also drug offences, but she also still specialises and consults in high-profile cases. Mandy, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Mike. Nice to be here.
0: Oh it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, Now let's just start off, you're you're actually a lawyer um, but I'd like to know how this all started. So can you tell me a little bit more about yourself in terms of growing up and and your schooling and some of the experiences that you had during that time?
1: Yeah sure, Um, I grew up with first generation parents, um, had extended um, grandparents that lived with us Um, as well as extended family, other members of family. So my dad's two brothers, you know, lived with us. My dad being the eldest. And we grew up in in one um, household in uh, West London. And I must have been about maybe three years old, maybe two or three, where my parents then moved away to Reading, which is, um, you know, the area I live in now, um, to start a business. And they started in, you know, they bought one shop and I stayed with my grandparents. So I went to nursery in West London until such time. I think, you know, living in London is it, not great for parents. They always want you to move out. So um, my family thought, well, let's just all um, move to Reading. And and yeah, so I grew up um, with a big family, a lot of love, um, a lot of tensions uh, because we were living on top of the flat of a of a of a shop essentially so a lot of family a lot of love but you know no privacy very busy you know and it was the norm you know watching my dad and his brothers and my grandparents eat dinner at ten thirty because they would close the shop at 10. So yeah norm- went to a normal state school nothing special and uh, one of the first in the family to graduate.
0: Fantastic tell me what was your experience like at school? growing up at school and you know trying to kind of fit into that culture as such
1: it was it was interesting so I lived um when when I went to my primary school so now I was in living in Reading we were in a you know multicultural area because that's where the shop was and we would sell you know items and food um that would um you know that that we would sell towards, you know, African culture, West Indian, um, you know, bread being one of, as well as Indian and Pakistani spices. So we were living amongst a very multicultural, you know, multicultural community. So going to primary school was no different. And when you're growing up, you, you don't really kind of start isolating people and thinking, oh, I think you're different, Maybe it's your colour, maybe it's your religion, or may, maybe you know you, you're you're fatter or you're skinnier than me. But you don't really kind of think because you're just a child, you're quite innocent and pure, aren't you? So yes, yeah, going to primary school was great, and then went to the 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 secondary school that was a catchment for for our area. So I I think it was it was great. A lot of pressure, of course, by family because you know if you if you're going to go to school, then you do well, otherwise. You know, why would your parents bother,
0: you know? So tell me, though, as you kind of grew up and went through teens, was there ever a time where you really kind of understood or discovered that your own culture was different from general society uh, in the UK? You know, did you ever experience any discrimination or anything like that?
1: So it's funny you say that. When I went to university, I went to University of West London um, in Ealing. So again, multicultural. And it wasn't until I started applying for my first job as a graduate that I started to think, hang on a minute, I'm different. Because I I have friends that are different colour, but we don't sit there and say, oh, you know, you're white, or you're black, or you're Pakistani Asian, or you're Indian Asian. When you when you when you gel, you just gel, you know. Um, yeah, everyone's got different cultures where they can talk about and bring things to the mix, and it's great tasting people other people's food. And so I I never really I was quite lucky, so I never really had any sort of negative sort of impact until I began to to apply for my first job when I was looking for a training contract, Mike.
0: Mm interesting now let me just roll a little bit back to university mm. um did you had you decided at that time that you were going to be a lawyer um and if so what what made you decide that you wanted to become a lawyer
1: it's it's funny you uh you mentioned this i was ready to go to university and, and my parents had it all planned out for me as 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 many you know, ethnic parents do that, you know, you're going to go to university and you're going to do something in accounts or you're going to become a doctor. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm not great with medicine and I certainly wasn't good with numbers, but you know, so I lied to my parents for a year that I was doing accounts
0: Oh wow!
1: and uh, I know, uh, I can't believe I'd done that now. I thought, what a silly lie. <laughs> And it wasn't until I went into my second year, I, I continued to lie, to be honest. I said, oh, I'm doing accounts and law now, Mum." You know, it, but it's probably more law now than accounts. And then when I graduated into law, they thought, hang on a minute, what happened to accounts? And I just kind of just smiled and just kind of, you know, carried on. But, <laughs> and
0: but you, you graduated spent. with a law degree.
1: Yeah, I mean, were they, graduated in law.
0: I'm assuming they were proud of you, right?
1: yeah they they were that you know going going back to your original question what what made me want to get in um i did a little bit of work experience with a a lawyer who i didn't know at the time was a very high profile lawyer i just kind of walked in and this is a firm in west london um off south broadway you know, walked in and said, you know, I was only 17 and said, you know, can I come in, I don't know, type some letters, do it for free, you know, and I had cousins that were in West London, you know, I'd get the bus in, I'll stay over for six weeks at a time. And she was phenomenal. She said, yeah, why not? And I only realized she was quite profile when (laughs) later on in my 20s, um, I realized that she was uh, representing um a very well-renowned terrorist and I thought, hang on a minute, he used to walk into the office and it's because of how she was with me. She was so nice. She had the nicest things, you know, she always had time for me, you know, you know, she always had, always had back-to-back clients, but she always had time for her staff. And I thought, you know what, I want to be one of those. Either I want to be a teacher that's loved and, you know, the cool one. Or I want to be like her. Never looked back.
0: So that's interesting because obviously you went into criminal defense, was it, as a result? Mm. You followed you followed her because that's what she was doing?
1: You know, she was doing criminal defense and she did a lot of family and she, I think she only had this like one major client, but she was predominantly a family lawyer. To be honest with you, Mike, when I graduated and I, and I did my LPC, I just wanted a job. I would have done anything. I just wanted a training contract in anything. If it had been in immigration, I would have taken it. If it had been in criminal, I would have taken it. Family would have taken it. And that's, you know, and then I, and then thought about things later. It was so hard in making an application for a training contract, Mike. And I'm actually quite embarrassed to tell you that I sat there, copies of letters and, and CVs with envelopes. And I remember just sitting on the floor at the top of the flat where we used to live, on top of the shop, just going through the yellow pages. And I must have, and it's not a joke, I must have sent letters with covering, you know, covering letters with CVs. I must have sent hundreds, maybe even, I don't know, a few good few hundred. I just went through the yellow pages.
0: And did you get many replies?
1: Did I get many replies? No. No. No, I didn't. I got maybe one person that called me, one who was a local solicitor in the Berkshire area. And I'll never forget her. And she just said, yeah, come in for an interview. So a couple of weeks after I'd got my LPC results, I was 21, nearly 22, working in a solicitor's office, handling all sorts of people's Data and criminal offences, and I was still a baby, you know. But she gave me a chance. But you know, had they had, you know, some of the companies responded, would have been nice, you know, maybe giving me some feedback. And it's funny you mentioned this. So there's a firm that's still running, and I'm not going to mention them, but they actually wrote back. It's a firm in Brentford, Mm -hmm. and they said, "Sorry, you you know, you're not suited for X, Y, and Z," and you know. I was a baby. I'd just come out of university. But they took the time to write back and give me some, I don't know, in their minds, constructive criticism in terms of, you know, me not having any experience. Well, I'm not going to. I'm 21. And it's funny because I qualified as a lawyer and then the equity partner, you know, approached me at Reading Magistrates Court one day and wanted to recruit me when I was fully qualified.
0: Wow! So this is the oh, and, and I gave him gave the, the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you gave him the story. I did. And what did he? Did, what did he say? Did.
1: Nothing. He just said, "Oh, was, you know, the secretaries were told." You know, I said, "Well, you know, everybody just wants a chance. Either don't say anything if you've got nothing nice to say, hmm. but you know, and and perhaps it. Now thinking about it in hindsight, perhaps it was constructive." criticism that i could do better maybe i should try this at the other but when you're 21 and i don't mean 21 in this day and age you know with social media you know we're all a bit faster i mean when you're 21 you know 20 21 22 years ago 21 when you know nothing yeah so yeah and it's
0: interesting, and you know, you, you make a really good point because you talk about the fact that twenty-one in this day and age is certainly different to twenty-one. Then we didn't really have LinkedIn and various other social media, yeah. so you you had to kind of write letters and send off applications, um, which must have been draining if you're sending off so many.
1: Oh, and not getting it many was replies. heartbreaking. I mean, how many stamps and envelopes are used and when somebody can't even be bothered to say sorry or thank you very much and I don't expect I didn't expect replies from all of them. But you know, a few would have been nice. Hmm. And I just went down the yellow pages. Like I was looking to and you know what else was in my letter and I and I'll tell you this and I've not told anyone. I said I would work for free. Wow. Yeah, I said I would work for free if I could get a training contract.
0: Not many people would do that in this day and age, right?
1: <laughs> no. And I think that's probably why I got my first call. And I didn't mm. work for free. I was paid. Um, you know, and I was just grateful for the opportunity. But nowadays, Fantastic. I guess now we have nepotism now, don't we? Because we yeah. have LinkedIn, we have nepotism. We have uncles and aunties and parents that would help their children and nephews and nieces. But, you know, when you're first generation parents, you've got no, yeah. no one really to assist.
0: So having done that, you, you know, you, you get a job, you're, you're now a, a lawyer. And how was how your career developed from, you know, from you very first started? What kind of level did you get to? Um, what was the best what was the best job you had? I don't. I'm, I'm assuming that you worked for a couple of firms, maybe. Um, I have, yes. Yeah, tell me what was the best one you had and why, and what was the the hardest one or the one that you hated the most.
1: Um, it's probably got to be a, one particular firm that I loved, hated. Um, I grew up in. I mean, I was there for a long time. I loved it because I grew. I learned things, I was given the opportunity to express myself and, you know, really look into law and learn law, you know, you know, I mean, people say being a lawyer as well, all you need to do is just go to the books, you need to be able to apply the law. And that's the beauty of it. So you kind of get this sort of um, adrenaline rush, you know, when you get a win. So that adrenaline rush eventually can turn you into a bit of a monster, Mike. Because when you're in a law firm, and any lawyer will tell you this when you work in a law firm, it's billable hours. Now, course, if I yeah. don't make a certain amount of money for my boss, that law firm, <laughs> I have to keep justifying being get, in, in getting paid. And in those days, you had to make three times your salary. So it was survival of the fittest. And the only way you're going to make fees is if you pull in clients and you're only going to pull in clients. Yeah, all right. Your personality would take you so far, but you've got to be good, right? Mm-hmm. And then so. your reputation just, you know, it is all you thrive on. So in the local area, I was thriving. I was loving it. I wasn't sleeping. I was going to the police station and then waking up in the morning, going to court, you know. And in, in the whole, you know, it, th- this whole adrenaline rush, in, in the middle of it all, I got married. But then I was still in that adrenaline rush, still working, doing overtime. Not because I want to do overtime. It's just one of those things. Criminal lawyers just <laughs> have to go to the police station. You might have a client that calls you that only wants to speak to you. And you kind of feel this sort of sense that you have to help someone. So... And I think, so I hated it because I didn't get time for myself. I lost my younger years where my friends were out, you know, partying and enjoying themselves. And I was just constantly working. So, yeah, I got married and, you know, unfortunately, I had no time. So, you know, that didn't go down well. And so my marriage broke down. Yeah, there might be other reasons, but. You know, time was one of one of the reasons, you know, not being able to focus on home life. And then I just, so then I went back into work again. I was like, well, I'm not married anymore. I've got plenty of time. I'll go to the police Pretty station. I'll carry on pulling in clients. Exactly. And then you're in this vicious circle. And then I was getting promoted and I was getting more money. And I thought, oh, brilliant. But then you forget, you know, you kind of sit back and you think, you're getting all this money. You actually got no time to spend it, and you forget, you know. But even the money back then, I just thought, oh, you know, I just want to work, and I love where I work. And then, you know, I just thought, well, great for Yerna. I've been here a long time. My boss thinks I'm great because I was a supervisor of the local area. Didn't quite make it to partnership, and then I thought, hang on a minute, I've been here a long time. Why am I not? made partner Mm. and that's when it kicks in and you think you know what is it because i'm different is it because i look different is it because maybe i'm not a nice person you start to ask questions and then i left everything i knew and i just had to one day just jump ship and i and i had to leave what i loved criminal defense because I thought to myself, hang on a minute, I've spent all these years, not got anywhere. I can't go into another firm and start again. You know? Yeah. I, I, what am I going to do? So then I just added something else to my armory and I started compliance. So I, I you know, I consulted anti-money laundering, but also privacy now.
0: Interesting. And,
1: yeah. So I loved I mean, and I hated think... this this one same place. Yeah.
0: So tell me, I mean, it, it was interesting because, you know, you were saying that, Obviously, you were doing very well. Mm-hmm. You know, getting promoted, mm-hmm. um, bringing in clients, doing all the things you have to do as a lawyer, working really hard, um, but not getting to that status of of being recognised as as a partner. Did you see other people come in after you and and yes, get promoted as a partner? Absolutely. And did you ever get to the bottom of well? You know, why have you not been made partner? Did you have a discussion with, you know, your boss at the time or, or anybody in the firm?
1: Do you know what, Mike? I tell you, you know, I've got I've got a lot of flaws in me. And one of the flaws is I'm very spiritual and I think well, what I deserve will be given to me. That's I'm not a flaw, promoted. by the way. <laughs> spiritual. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, I mean so you think, you know, you give out to the universe and the universe will give back. One year, two year, three years, four years, five years, six years. I'm talking a good, good amount of years waiting around until one day you wake up and you think it's not going to happen. And I still didn't, even on my last day, say to my boss at the time, you know what, if you just made me because I didn't want it at that time. I didn't want it that way. I wanted to be given it because I was the right person for the job and partnership what it would have given me what a few extra grand increment do you know what i still say to this day i didn't even want the extra money i just wanted a title i spent all these years somewhere and i'm nothing and i thought i gave my blood sweat and tears to this place no sleep no family time yeah you know
0: sacrificed a lot
1: you do and then Yeah,
0: and you know, and it's interesting. You, you you know, you make a really good point because when you when you work hard like that and you bring the business in, sometimes it's not always about the money. It is about the status. It is about you saying to yourself, you know, I have grown in my role. You know, I have worked hard and I've reached to the level where, you know, mm. I can be maybe better respected better you know yeah. get more clients just from being a partner that you know that, I think that that's what it is
1: I think Mike you hit the nail on the head it's that respect hmm. you know not a sense of entitlement well I deserve it because of just you know and I guess for me it was just a way of my boss saying thanks to me and then I just you know it, the, my, my, my bosses were fine you know, I had everything then I thought, what is it? What is it that I can't get there' because I'm making plenty of money? I don't think I'm a bad person because if it was that bad bad, I wouldn't be prom- i would't have been promoted I wouldn't be looking after the areas I'm looking after. so what is it
0: and I believe being a you know being a partner in a law firm you you get your name on the headed paper, and you know you hopefully your partners are, are trusted, oh yeah. Right?
1: To yeah, attend so all sorts of nice dinners, you're you're sitting there making decisions. Um, you know, sense of responsibility.
0: Mm-hmm. What about in terms? I just wanted of, a card,
1: a business card that said my name. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> and partner. Yeah. Were there were there other yeah. female lawyers that were in that firm as as partners? Mm-hmm. There were, yeah. So. Yeah. So do you think it is more, less a gender issue and more of a ethnicity issue?
1: Yeah, quite possibly.
0: Yeah. Because that's still happening. I can't say today.
1: yes. I can't say yes because, no. you know, who am I to say? I don't live, you know, in the stomach of, um, you know, my previous bosses. But there, there has to be something, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So how about now? Where where are you now? How do you feel now? Um, particularly as you were mentioning all of that work you did, you know, getting up early, into the police station, going to court. Have you found balance now? Um,
1: oh, yeah. It's all about, you know, family life now. I'm going to be 42 <laughs> this year, Mike. And I'm quite embarrassed to say. Thank you. <laughs> I'm quite embarrassed to say that you know, I only found work-life balance in 2018. It wasn't that long ago. And, um, yeah, I'm a consultant. I'm in a better place. Um, you know, I, I work for myself. Um, I respect myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, it, it, it takes a while, I think, for um, people, especially when you're kind of um, ambitious and you're in a career where you're, you have great aspirations, you know. You have to find that balance, and that doesn't come immediately. So that comes after a while, when you can really kind of reflect yeah. and look back and think, yeah. "Wow, there's more to life than just work, work, work." You know, I you know. have to, you have to live, you have to live your life. You know, and the reason why you work is so that you can live, rather than you know, live to work.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? So I agree.
0: Yeah, so it's great to see that you're in a um a much better place. But tell me what, what is next for Mandy Hagen then?
1: Well, so I still consult some with I'm with a local criminal defence firm who are amazing by the way. You know they've been my friends since, you know, when I was working in in previous firms, who are lovely and you know, they want me. Mm. And um, you know, if, if if I have any of my old old clients that want you know that want me to represent them like I I do it through this criminal defense firm so and I still go back in for you know high profile cases to consult on so I still have that as a criminal lawyer Mike you never kind of lose it you know as a nurse you're always going to be a nurse you always want to help people you always want to you know resuscitate someone etc etc it's that kind of thing with criminal lawyers it's something that always pulls you back Mike I don't know what it is (laughs) you speak to any criminal lawyer it does so yeah so i consult um with this criminal defense company and i also you know find myself in short-term contracts where i'm in house counsel and predominantly advise on anti-money laundering and privacy matters which is what i tend to do maybe 80 to 90 percent of the time now
0: excellent if you could speak to your younger self Give advice to the twenty-one-year-old Mandy today. Mm-hmm. What would you? What advice would you give?
1: So, I can still be, and up until recently, am a yes person, and I've always been a yes person. I don't know why, um, when even when I yes can't person, deliver.
0: What does that mean? Being a I yes just, person,
1: you know, if somebody wants something. I think it's, I'm actually quite selfish, Mike. I like to do things because it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. And and I feel, and I've only just been able to realise that that's actually been quite selfish. Why but the 21-year-old me, I don't know because you know, just little things like, you know, giving the neighbours cupcakes at Christmas. Yeah, it's a nice gesture. But I like it makes me feel good, you know that that rush I get for that little time. So I do it, and then I think, "Oh God, I've got to make the neighbors' cupcakes." You know, it's it's not. I don't really mean it in that way. I don't think of it as a bother. I do it because actually, for my own selfish reason, it makes me feel good. If I'd known this statement when I was much younger, rather than thinking I was so hard done by, then I think, you know, then I then I would have been in control. Of certain aspects of my life, mm. I would have been able to say, okay, I don't think I need to, to do that because I should be respected for my skills. I don't think I should need to pander towards anyone. And I think when I was younger, I did a lot of pandering.
0: Right.
1: I mean, I think pandering is probably the most appropriate word. And I'm quite embarrassed, actually, to say, and and I think, because I don't think, I, I don't think we need to pander. I think we can be respected for the skills that we have or not have. You know, but there's always this sort of um, imbalance in power, isn't there? You yeah. know, when you work with your employer, there's always this imbalance of power, so you always feel like you have this sort of pandering that you've got to do, and it, you know now I've learned to realize that actually um, I don't need to pander towards anyone to make them feel good or to make myself feel good because I make them feel good
0: yeah.
1: because actually that's just being false. I should be able to respect people for what they do, what they say, their work, their work ethic and that's it. You know?
0: So it sounds like where you are now, um, you're in a great place. you have, you're working for, you know, um, uh, consulting with a company that really know you, they like you, they love (laughs) what you do, as opposed to where you were before, it it almost sounds like they took advantage of your expertise and your knowledge and your ability to bring in clients and just kept trying to churn that day in, day out, right? And And I allowed them. You allowed it to happen, yeah. And I allowed it to
1: happen. This is the problem. And then you think back and you look back and you think, hang on a minute, am, am I? No, the, the problem is me. Maybe I should have stuck up for myself. Maybe I should have said, hang on a minute, I've been here for three, four years. I think I deserve to become a partner. That's what, you know, I made mistakes along the way. So if I said, oh, it's all my boss or whatever, but maybe I should have given the opportunity to my bosses for them to respond. But then I think to myself, maybe part of me was scared of the response.
0: You know what? It, it's interesting because, um, you know, when you look at today, you know, and millennials today, yeah. you know, they're not afraid to go and ask for what they want. They're not afraid oh, to ask know. for emotions. And, you know, they're not afraid to say, hey, you know, it's about time I was made um, a partner. Now, I don't know whether that's right or wrong. But certainly, you know, in the time, you know, when you were kind of coming up as a lawyer, that was, you know, we didn't do that, right? We didn't do that. We expected to be recognized for the work and be promoted purely on merit. Yeah. You know, and I think that maybe over the years, because that still doesn't happen as much, people are now just all out asking for it outright. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't know whether that's right or wrong. I think, yes, you should speak for what you want and ask for it and
1: i mean but, uh, yeah i mean delivery is always good right you've got to have the right delivery do i think you know if you course. go in with stats i think i should be promoted but then you will get a very appropriate answer nowadays than you would have done if any you know true. many years uh, ago
0: yeah that's very true so tell me if you've got uh, you know we have a lot of people out there who may be thinking of becoming a lawyer, listening mm. to this show, what, what advice would you give them?
1: You've got to believe in yourself. So I'm an ethnic female. And being a criminal lawyer as an ethnic female, you know, being a female criminal lawyer is hard enough. You know, the criminals, they think, oh, a man will always do a better job. You've got to prove yourself. But if you're willing to put in that work and prove yourself, where you start to think, actually, you know what? I think I've got this. I'm actually good at this. You've got to believe it because charity starts from home. There's no point me saying to you, Mike, I'm brilliant. I don't need to tell you I'm brilliant. If I'm brilliant, you'll know it. Right. These lessons, I wish these statements, you know, it were given to me when I was younger if you're brilliant, you don't need to tell people you're brilliant. You'll just shine and people will know you're excellent. And then people will flock to you because you have this aura, you have this confidence, and you know what you're talking about. But you've got to know your subject matter. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one thing I always say. Don't just be a jack of all trades and master of none. Know your subject, be amazing in it. It's like, you know i gave this example to somebody the other day it's like asking a baker to make a curry you know they could probably figure it out you know because that's what they do that they cook but a chef would probably make a better curry than the baker so the baker should really just stick to the art that they know so you know i really believe that if you know a couple of areas whether it's law, whether it's anything, just concentrate on that, but believe you can do it. Because if you can make yourself believe you can do it, then you can make other people believe that you can do it without even telling them. I think that's Brilliant. the... I <laughs> wish somebody told me this <laughs> years ago.
0: Okay. Listen, I've got one more question for you. I mean, that's something I just yeah. thought about. because Because you really kind of focused on criminal defense, have mm. you ever kind of defended anybody who you know has been guilty of the crime of course you're a lawyer defending but how does it actually make you you feel to be defending people who you, you may know that yes they are guilty but you're actually mm. trying to you're trying to get them off basically
1: mm. so, if i had a penny for every t- single time i was asked this question you know especially when you know on the way home in a cab so it's all about your instructions. You know, who am I? I'm not judging jury. Hmm. You know? It's up to the judge, the magistrates, the jury. I'm just doing my job. Whether it's pointing holes at the prosecution case, then at the end of the day I'm just putting focus on the fact that the prosecution should have done a better job. Same way, works the other way as well. Mm -hmm. But the the fact of the matter is, is that if you're representing someone, whether they're guilty or not, i.e. whether you, you know, your client pleads not guilty, is found guilty, or whether they plead guilty and gets a horrible and/or great sentence, whatever. The the fact of the matter is, when you're in this line, the amount of negativity and toxicity that surrounds you. And my friends and I talk about it all the time. Once you leave, it takes six months of you just going through like a regrowth because you're in the cells, you're in the police station, you're in the court cells, you're in the courtroom and everyone's talking about offenses and everything. And I really do believe that these things stick to you. And then it makes you the, the negative, the, the person that you are. And then, so I didn't realize that I was quite miserable until I'd left. I thought, hang on a minute. I I am a miserable person. But that's what it is, because whether you, you know, represent someone or not. Now, representing an innocent person. And I've done this when I represented somebody that was wholly innocent, Mike, completely. I mean, not at the scene, nowhere, you know, not had anything to do with it, but was arrested for a very serious offense because he was a twin. The One thing about twins they have the same DNA. And then and then again, that's you know the the pressures of making sure that you get that person off because they really didn't do it yeah. you know but that's the positive vibe but how often did you get a positive um vibe sticking to you as opposed to the negativity
0: you know yeah wow yeah i mean it's a tough job it's a tough job and uh listen i think it, it sounds like you are an expert at, at what you do um I would say you know, keep being you because I think you're fantastic and and everything that oh that
1: you thanks do. Mike
0: oh honestly um you know i i've I've known you a little while now, and um I just you you have quite a bubbly personality anyway, and i think wow you're a you're a lawyer, and there's times when you have to be really serious right all the time, mm-hmm. so it's nice that you can come away from that um at least through my eyes you you can be yourself and you can enjoy life, which is. Which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I appreciate that. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show, being very open, being very honest. Um, Mm. Real pleasure to talk to you and uh, wish you every luck in the future. Thank you. And
1: you, thank you very much. Uh, Thank you very much, Mike, what you're doing, you know, getting the word across and this awareness. It's amazing. and I think we, we need, you know, real conversations because, you know, nobody likes to talk about what's real out there. And I think, you know, awareness is great. So well done.
0: It's great. Thank you very much. Take care.
1: Bye for now. Bye. listening to this episode of diversity matters if you liked what you heard then be sure to hit like and subscribe and we'll see you next time